So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been a hot minute since I preached, so this is great to get back in the saddle a little bit. Uh, looking forward to Lent very much. Um, I was going to go with the theme of spring cleaning, because we seem to have a lot of cleaning metaphors with all the texts we're going to have during Lent. And I was hoping it would be a nicer day, so we'd actually think about spring and cleaning, but instead of ice and snow. But uh, <laughs> spring cleaning and the history of Lent go way back. We're talking all the way back. We have writings from Irenaeus, probably around year 170, 180 AD, talking about his forefathers arguing about how many days they're going to observe Lent. They're like, okay, Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted, right, by the devil, he fasted, uh, let's do 40 days. So then what do we do? 40 days, but not Sundays. That's how we do it. Other traditions do it differently. So we go from Ash Wednesday till Holy Saturday, 40 days, not counting the Sundays. And the Eastern Orthodox Church, you know, they had this thing called Clean Monday. They, had, they just had Clean Monday a few days ago. Kind of interesting. They had Fat Tuesday yesterday, and now it's Margarita Wednesday, I just found out. Okay. Modern-day America is a little different than, you know, the very first church, but this tradition goes all the way back. And it's a wonderful time to prepare us for Easter, right? To remind us of Jesus, his sacrifice, uh, what he did by, well, willing to be tempted by the evil one. And he was tempted in every way. So in the old days, they'd like fast for all the 40 days, like no meat, right? They'd have mandatory fasting. And then, well, you know why there's that fish on Friday thing, right? Because they were fasting for 40 days. And let's say you live in Italy, and let's say you make your living as a fisherman, and nobody's eating meat for 40 days. Business is bad, okay? So they, they pleaded to the Pope, and he said, okay, fish on Fridays, all right? And we still got that one around here. That's where that comes from. And now we've kind of relaxed it all the way to, uh, we don't have like mandatory days of things, and we don't have to fast, you know? We don't have to do, well, a lot of things. But this idea of Lent, uh, well, it has this, well, it has these phases. Lent is a season of prayer. It's a season of fasting, of repentance, of giving, of simple living, and self-denial. So in the youth group tonight, I go, okay, out of that list, which ones does God tell us we have to do? So I go, okay, what do you think? Are we supposed to pray? All the time. All right, so that's in there. Uh, how about fasting? Are we commanded to fast? And they're all like, you know, nobody wants to get wrong, right? But uh, so we read it in Matthew 6. It says, when you fast, don't be a jerk. <laughs> Essentially is what he's saying. That was just part of the way they lived back then. They fasted all the time. And now it's gotten to be popular in America with intermittent fasting, right? So here we are. It's back again. But it's not commanded. How about repentance? Are we commanded to repent? Yes. In fact, if we don't repent... We are a liar, okay? And the truth is not in us. We're going to use that text tonight. How about giving? Like giving to the poor or giving to the church? Are we commanded to do these things? Yeah, we're kind of commanded, you know, take care of the poor and the widows and all. Yep, that's, we're supposed to do that. How about simple living? Well, what I think of as simple living would probably be insanely complex to somebody a few generations ago. They wouldn't even conceive what my simple living looks like. Like, I don't check my email right away. You know, that's like a thing for me. Like that. So simple living is, well, 
Yeah. How about self-denial? Are we supposed to deny ourselves things? Well, it's a good idea to not things. What, what, is, what does Paul say? All things are lawful, but not everything is beneficial. So some of these are just spiritual uh, traditions or disciplines, but why, are, why has the church been doing this forever? They've been developing these traditions and these disciplines to help draw closer to the Lord during this season, to be intentional. And I don't know what that means to you, but in America, it's kind of gotten down to, what am I going to give up for Lent? So I asked all the youth, what are you going to give up for Lent? And I told them, you know what I'm giving up for Lent? The same thing I did last year, which is nothing. And uh, the year before, I don't remember the last time I gave something up for Lent. Is that, is that bad? But then it made me think, why has it gotten to be a thing that we give up something Lent or we don't? And do we have to do this thing? And what's the benefit of that? I think it's good for every one of us to wrestle with that. When I start thinking about what I'm going to give up for Lent, I start thinking, oh, that's a big one. Oh, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> oh, that's it. No, I'm not doing that one. And then I usually just quit. Because I, I look at the old Christian, you know, the Christian church last 2,000 years, I'm like, I'm just a big wimp. I am way too comfortable with my comfort. I, want, I don't like to hurt. I'm not like Luke. I don't like to hurt. So, I mean, he, he wants to hurt. He seeks it out. I'm not that guy. I like to be really comfortable. And if I feel uncomfortable, I want to make sure I'm comfortable. So why would I deny myself comfort? It seems reasonable. But maybe it doesn't help me prepare for the Lord very well. Because he got a little uncomfortable. <laughs> All the way to the point of death. Death on a cross. This is a good thing for to remember. The weight of my sin was put upon him. All right. So we all did confession absolution tonight. What sins did you confess? Don't start saying them, okay? Were they big ones? Were they little ones? Were they against somebody you loved? Were they against a friend? Were they something you didn't do? Something you thought? How long could you go before you would enumerate all your sins? This is the reason the Reformation happened, if you didn't know this. Martin Luther would do this for six hours straight. His uh, father confessor, was it Johann von, what is it, von Sput, Sput, Sputnik, or whatever his name is? <laughs> That's close enough. Poor, but, but poor Johann would have to sit there and listen to him for six hours confessing sins. And then after six hours, he would walk out of the room and run right back in because he was feeling proud about his, you know, enumerating <laughs> sins for six hours. And you know what he told Martin? He told Martin, he goes, here's the deal, Martin. Let's call him Marty. Okay, Marty, here's the deal. You come back and confess and sin to me when you've done something like really bad, like, you know, killed your dad or something. Until then, I don't want to hear it because he was sick and tired of him confessing his sins. Well, what's Martin Luther do with all this burden, right? He's always trying to clean himself up, and it just is not working. The harder you try, the harder you try to be good, the more impossible the task becomes. So that's why some people are like, I'm not even going to try. Well, that doesn't lead to good things. But what happened is Luther said, you know what? I think I better start reading Romans. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my confession and my penance are not what saves me. I can't earn favor with God. It is a free gift. He gives me this thing. 
And the fact that I recognize I'm a sinner is actually a work of the Holy Spirit in me, condemning me and going, you can't save yourself. There's only one thing that can save you, and that's Jesus Christ and faith in him. That's why it's always both, confession and absolution. The law drives us to our knees and kills us, and then we are brought alive through the gospel, knowing that only through Christ can we be saved. This is the rhythm of being a Christian. This is why we do it all the time here. This is why you should do this all the time. This is a spiritual discipline. Repentance and forgiveness is a wonderful gift. Now, our reading for tonight from Psalm. Uh, David messed up. You all know the story, right? Bathsheba, they're going to have a baby. He's like, hey, get your husband back here, Uriah, so we can pretend it's his and not mine. And then he's like, no, I'm a soldier. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to deny myself this thing because my soldiers are out there. I'm, and, and David's like, oh, no, 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 you need. So then what's he do? He sends him to the front line so he gets killed. Adultery and murder. And then his friend Nathan has to be sent by God to say, call this guy to repentance. He's done a really bad thing. How many of you have a Nathan in your life? Someone who really loves you enough to call you to repentance. In America, it's very rare. Very few people have someone who really loves them that much to hold them accountable to sins because they don't want them to stay in their sin. But thankfully, David had a Nathan. And Nathan goes and tells him. And what's David's response? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He feels bad. He has contrition. He has penance. He understands the weight of his sin. He even says, I've been like this since before I was born. Original sin. And the answer is, yeah, we're born in this. It's a disease we all have. It is why we will die. There is only one cure. In my seminary class this week, we were talking about how churches sometimes get sideways about not talking about this thing called sin and absolution gets to be, a, I don't know, kind of a fancy book club about how to live your life right or be a good person and all these things. Church is not about cleaning yourself up. <laughs> Can't do it. Church is about making dead people alive. Book clubs, you can't do that. <laughs> your rotary can't do that. Your uh, friends and family can't do that. Only Jesus can make dead people alive. And all of you were baptized. You were drowned. You were killed and brought back to life in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you are forever going to live. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's what this is about. Now, the great thing is David has this thing called godly sorrow. 
What's he do with his sorrow? He knows where to direct it. He knows to ask for forgiveness. What happens if you don't have that? And this is what we'd call human sorrow. This is the kind of sorrow that Judas had. And he killed himself. Is it a wonder why we have more and more people that are in this situation? Human sorrow versus godly sorrow. You all have godly, godly sorrow. And that's a gift because you know what to do with it. Jesus paid for it. And you get to live free of that. That is the only way to live. So we have these two concepts together, confession and absolution. Even Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24, 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And here we are still doing it. In 1 John 8, 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if the world doesn't have anything to do with their worldly sorrow, their solution is to say there is no sorrow. There's no problem here. It's just a mistake. You're in a bad situation. You made a poor decision. It's not sin. It doesn't work. (laughs) Even a fool knows they mess up. Believe me, I've met people who think they are good and don't sin. You don't need a Nathan to show up to say you're not perfect. Everybody knows they're not perfect. But for some reason, it's got pervasive in our culture that being a good person is good enough, and I'm cleaning myself up, and God will take care of me on the last day. That's not going to work. You need not just cleaning the house. You need a complete renovation. You need to be drowned. If I talked about you know, adult baptism, I, I know Luke would do this. If any of you ever thought about being baptized as an adult, if there's no unbaptized people in here, I'm going to recommend not Luke on this one. Because this is what he would do. He would encourage you to do a full immersion baptism. Wouldn't you? He would, he would get you in the pool or the lake or whatever, and he would lay you down, right? And he would keep you there. Until you started really kicking He would keep you down there almost to the point of death just to realize that's what's happening. You're drowning. You're dying with Christ, and then you're going to be raised to a new life. I'm I'm glad I got it done with when I was a baby at this point. So, but that's what's going on. That's what's going on there. Now, how many of you have confessed sins and you full well knew you were going to go back and do it again? Ends up being a game with God, doesn't it? Am I really repentant when I'd say I'm going to go ahead and do that again? And I know I'm going to do it again? I don't know about you, but I've had habitual sins that I have dealt with for years and years and years and years. It is awful. But every time I confessed, God has forgiven me. He's been so patient. He is long-suffering. He shows me mercy. But you know what I needed to overcome some of those, what we'd say, the little rocks in my life, those habitual sins? 
I needed a Nathan to help me. I needed someone else to tell about it, to keep me accountable, to love me, to come alongside, to encourage me. Because doing this on your own, that is not what being a Christian is. This is a team sport. We all need a Nathan in our lives that loves us and will help us. So if that is you, if you've been playing that game with God for many years, find a Nathan, let God do his work on your heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit, even the little victory we get over these little sins, <laughs> like Martin Luther, right? He's chucking these rocks out of the field. This is the first book they have us read in seminary. It's called The Hammer of God. <laughs> well, I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm getting some sins taken care of, right? And then all of a sudden, I, I found the one rock to pick out of the field, and I'm like, uh-oh. That's a 210-pound rock of granite. Uh, how am I going to get that one? I'm not. The harder you try, <laughs> the more you realize it is impossible to clean yourself up for God. And that's why you get driven to the gospel for salvation. This is the life of Lent. This is the repentance and forgiveness that we live. So how do we clean house? Well, this psalm gives us some really cool words. Uh, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. Purge me with hyssop so I may be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Blot out on my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. See the theme here? Lots of cleaning going on. Now this cleaning that gets done is done with, I would say, two things. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you got a stain in the carpet and you got to use two cleaners to get it out. Uh, blood and water. <laughs> We're going to clean with blood and water. You're like, ah, clean with blood. Right? We've been doing Revelation, robes of righteousness. We've washed them in the blood of the Lamb. It makes us white as snow. And then the water imputes that forgiveness to you. It is a means of grace that connects you to God now and forever. So a little blood and a little water goes a long ways to clean you up. In fact, it makes you perfect in the eyes of God. Perfect. Perfectly clean and holy in the eyes of God because you are joined with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. What make the very last verse of this psalm, it's really interesting. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. He's already ready to call everybody else out. <laughs> I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Why would David say such a thing? Well, it's like his evangelistic tendency. He just received this wonderful thing called the forgiveness of sins, and now... How are you going to know you need the forgiveness of sins? He actually calls people to repentance, and people will repent, and they will believe. They'll go from worldly sorrow to godly sorrow. My dad had his uh, birthday yesterday. We took him out for lunch, and uh, I brought up my dad before. He's awesome. Great, great dad. Wrote him a little card, um, and I just wanted him to be in heaven with me forever, and right now, I don't know. So... It's always the conversation, but I love is what God has been doing on his heart. And I even told him that, that he's receptive to the gospel. He actually admitted he did something wrong, too. <laughs> and then you can 
say, you know what, Dad? I messed up too, but you know what? We have Jesus, and he makes us right. And faith in him saves, and I just want you to have that faith, Dad. I want you to get cleaned up with a little blood and water (laughs) is what I want from my dad. So I don't know. Are you guys going to give up something for Lent this year? I brought up, you know, the modern-day version of giving up for Lent, you know, the self-denial thing. It seems like the new thing is ice baths. Luke would like an ice bath. I would hate an ice bath. I don't know if it's an ice bath. I don't know if you're going to give up something sweet or you're going to give up something. The goal of that self-denial is to remind you of Christ. That's the goal of his sacrifice, what he's done for you, who you are in him. So if that's a spiritual discipline, do it. If it's uh, someone's going to hold you accountable, get them. If it's an ice bath, okay. (laughs) But this discipline that our loving Father gives us is for our benefit. We don't do these disciplines to show off. We don't do these disciplines to check a box. We're doing these disciplines because our loving Father says, these are good things for you to do. Is prayer for God? No, prayer is for you. Is repentance for God? No, repentance is for you. Is giving for God? No, giving is for you. All of these spiritual disciplines, whatever you all do, remember, God has given us these gifts to draw closer to him. In the season of Lent, that's what this is all about. And you know what? Then the fruits of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That is a fun thing he gives us, the fruits of the Spirit. So I pray this Lenten season, whether you deny yourself something or you're like me and you don't, that it would be a, a penitential season, one that you remind yourself, I'm a sinner, but Christ has rescued me through the blood of the Lamb, that he's made me clean, that I'm as white as snow, now and forever. I pray that this season, well, these 40 days leading up to that Easter celebration, just be intentional with God. Start a new habit. Get rid of something that's bad. This is a, you know, it's like the New Year's thing, but here's the not, you know, we all gave up on those New Year's things already, but here you are, another chance. Pick something. For me, it's going to be and I'll just, you can hold me accountable. I told the youth, hold me accountable. My wife holds me accountable because I struggle with this. First thing I'm doing in the morning is make the sign of the cross, say Luther's morning prayer, and then either do commandments, Lord's Prayer, Apostles' Creed, do my scripture reading, do my prayer, right? I struggle to do that. Does that sound super easy? I fail miserably too often because I do work instead. So there, that's my thing I'm giving up for Lent is the thing I should be doing every day anyway. So anyway, that's my spiritual discipline. So I pray that the, that peace that the Lord gives you, that the idea that you don't have to clean yourself up should make you smile. But I pray that the, the gospel that reigns in you just magnifies him and draws you closer to him and that you then would be willing, like David, to share it with others. Amen? Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank and praise you so much for the gift of repentance and forgiveness. Thank you for 
giving us a way to deal with the sin that we have and the godly sorrow that, that you take it upon your one and only son for us. Thank you for that. Lord, I want to pray for those who don't know you, specifically my dad and others, that they too might have something to do with the sorrows and the sins of this world, that they could realize that you've already paid for those things and that faith in you would save them. So thank you for cleaning us with blood and water and that we'd live this Lenten season to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I guess I can do the benediction now. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a wonderful rest of the week.